Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's just dope, and we sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Now, today is going to be a very special bonus episode to the podcast. Uh, For those of you who do not know, uh, I am a Muslim and took my Shahada in 1992. And Monday brings on one of our uh, holy uh, months of the year, which is Ramadan. And I have uh, brought on an educator who is also Muslim and want to talk about how schools can actually support their Muslim teachers and students. Uh, Kaziah Ridgeway is our guest. Uh, and uh, you, we got connected because uh, I reached out to someone on Twitter, uh, uh, Melty. And uh, he said, hey, I know someone. And he introduced yeah. us. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so for those who will be listening on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Simplecast, Spotify, and Stitcher, Will you please introduce yourself? Well, hello, everybody. Um, My name is Kaziah Ridgeway. I am a mother of four. I am a educator. I actually teach African-American history at Northeast High School. And yeah, that's a a little bit about me. I I love love, um, educating. I love my job. And I'm also a black Muslim woman. So that's me in a nutshell. (laughs) Now, some people, they hear Ramadan, but they may not know exactly what it is. They just hear, hey, somebody's not eating anything or not drinking. Uh, What is Ramadan and why do Muslims fast? So uh, Ramadan is actually the ninth month of the lunar calendar. And for people who don't know, Muslims tend to adhere to a different calendar than the Gregorian calendar. So our calendar is lunar. And what signals a new month is a new moon. So we are actually waiting for confirmation that a new moon has been sighted. And once that new moon is sighted, it will be the, it will be Ramadan and we will begin fasting. And fasting was prescribed to us um, through the ayahs that's in the Quran from uh, the chapter al-Baqarah, which is the cow, where Allah decrees us to fast. And we do it, number one, because it's a commandment from God. And with all the blessings that God gives us, we should also, you know, be able to adhere to the commandments that he gives us. So it is a commandment, but also it is a way for, it's kind of like levels of playing field in a way, because as 
Muslims, especially if you live in a Western country or if you have a lot of money, you may not know what it feels like to go hungry. You may not know what it feels like to be poor. And so during Ramadan, by abstaining from food, it gives us just a little teeny portal of what it's like to, to, to be hungry and, and to go without food. And also, it's actually, there's a lot of health benefits in fasting, too. So um, it's a commandment, but it's also a way to connect with Muslims around the world who uh, may have it just a bit easier um, or may not have it as easy as you do. Excellent, excellent. Now, people, as uh, Kaziah mentioned earlier, uh, we adhere to a lunar calendar. So what that means is Ramadan changes every year in terms of when it appears in in the months. And, you know, when I first started, like my first Ramadan, uh, the sun set. I don't know, four thirty, five o'clock. Yeah. Uh, so so <laughs> th- th- that was a different fast than what it is now. Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So um, it's kind of, okay. So I guess I should explain like what all happens with the fast. Um, so first and foremost, um, our fast actually begins before our morning prayer. Um, we should typically stop eating before the Fajr prayer comes in. So um, I think now Fajr comes in around five-ish. And so once Ramadan starts, we will need to stop eating. Um, We need to stop eating once Fajr comes in, right? And so that's that's called Suhoor. And then we typically fast you know, it could be 15 hours, it could be 16 hours, because we're in like summertime, um, we, I believe Maghrib, which is, which signifies the end of our fasting for the day, which is the, the sunrise prayer, or the sunset prayer, Maghrib comes in around eight-ish, um, and then, so as we move throughout the month, it'll get pushed back later and later to where, I believe I saw on the calendar, well, it'll, end up being at like 9 a.m., I mean 9 p.m. So we're looking at over 15 hours of fasting every day. And when we say fasting, we mean fasting. So we don't eat, we don't drink. There is no intimate relationships with partners. The time should be, I mean, obviously you have a job, you have to work, but any free time you have should be spent in meditation, spending time with your family, praying and reading Quran and, and trying to learn Quran too. So. It's, um, I know to some people it sounds like it's crazy or like it's grueling, but it, um, I started fasting when I was 16. Um, I converted when I was uh, 16. I started fasting when I was 16 and I ran track and fasted. I went to school and fasted. I I even gave blood one day while fasting. So I know some people may think it's hard, but it's not. (laughs) No, no. For me, the first week, is always the toughest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Once, yeah. once I get past that first week, <clears throat> you're good. I'm good. I, I feel a lot better, and then I notice doing iftar. It's like, hmm, I can't eat like I used to. This is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I do notice that too. Like your stomach shrinks. 
a lot. So you're not able to intake as much as you normally do. So it also gets harder to eat the horror once you get later into the month because, again, like your stomach shrinks. So it's yeah. like, do I really have to eat this whole bagel and drink two cups of water? I don't even know if I can get a half a cup. Yeah, yeah. Definitely changes. So who yeah. is expected to fast? That's a good question. So the people who are expected to fast are those who have so you have you have to have reached puberty. And that is like a really arbitrary statement because you can reach pu puberty at nine, at eight, sometimes at seven, and then others for others, you know, it could be fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. But typically, um, it's, you should have reached puberty. Um, I think most parents, if their child has not reached puberty by 13, they kind of say, all right, it's time for you to like, let's, let's kind of just get this going. Um, you need to be able body. you need to be of sound mind. Um, and I guess what would make it more easier in explaining who has to fast is explaining who doesn't have to fast. So it's not oblig obligatory to fast if you are nursing, pregnant, sick, and if the sick, like if fasting can affect the sickness, you should not do it. And if you are older of a certain age, so children do not have to fast unless they unless they've reached puberty. But I think for most parents, they probably like just let them do like little mini fasts or like kind of see how long they can hold out just to kind of get them ready to to fast. Mm -hmm. So you are an educator, and. Yeah. Um, like myself, you know, you've, you've have fasted and carried on your teaching duties throughout the day. Yeah. What has been your experience with teaching and fasting? Uh, you know, honestly, it gets, but I think the only hardest thing is like in a lot of schools in Philadelphia, we don't have air conditioning. So it's, you know, if you're teaching all day and then it's hot, it can be challenging. I also, I don't know, I, I kind of feel like I find it easier to fast while working mm. because when I'm home, yeah, I don't know what it is, cause, but I feel like when I'm home and I have nothing to do, it like the time goes slower. But when I'm working, it's like, all right, I get out at three, so I only have a couple more hours left and I said, take the kids here, I have to do this. So I feel like yeah, I feel like working is it actually makes time go by a little bit more. Um, I think like the questions are interesting or you'll have someone say, oh, well, can't you just drink some water or can't you gum? You know, the normal stuff. And so maybe more so than anything, like if you're surrounded by people who are not Muslim and then some of them are Islamophobic, what could be difficult is, you know, them making those smart comments or maybe them like taking a drink in front of you and prolonging it, you know. But again, especially if you've been doing it for a while, stuff like that really doesn't phase you. So <clears throat> you mentioned earlier about Sahur and Iftar. Mm -hmm. What would be typical that someone would have as a whore and an iftar. 
So for me, I try to eat something that is going to sustain me. So typically, I will force myself to eat oatmeal because it's nutritious, but it also expands and it lasts for a while. Um, I try to get my son, who's uh, 13 now, to drink water, about a, a bottle of water at the very least. I myself drink about two bottles of water, which can be difficult um, to do, but I like to be hydrated because towards the end of the fast, you really start to, to, to you know, be lethargic and you don't want to be dehydrated on top of that. So for in my family, what it looks like, like on, the, on during the week is, bowl of oatmeal, maybe some toast, about one to two bottles of water, on eggs, some homemade pancakes with some strawberry pine. You have my mom, she, she used to make like the week, for the week on Sunday, she would cook like pancakes or waffles or toast like just a towel it just depends on mm. yeah i think I, I just eat a normal meal for, for iftar there's nothing special uh yeah though, though i've seen on twitter people are like it's iftar and you see all of the yeah. these goodies pop out oh like, yeah like, yeah well, you know what, like on Instagram, because you know, in our, you know, being black folk, right? Like our Sunday dinners, like in, in in the Christian tradition, Sunday dinners are like the bomb, right? So like, especially during Ramadan, we, I feel like we have brought that tradition like into the religion. So it's like on days where we have that extra time, especially on the weekends, when we have our iftar, we like in our family, there's like baked chicken, macaroni and cheese, um, greens, a salad, there's um, dessert, there's like, you know, so yeah, there's definitely that element of like going all out and, you know, there's that staple food. Now, we also have some like vegetarians in our family, so we try to, you know, we try not to give them too much black and we, you know, try to make things that are vegetarian friendly, but you know, typically we just eat whatever we would eat for dinner. And it's not, you know, unless you're having like people over or you're actually doing a big iftar, then that's when you're like, you know, you're extra, you get extra. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So how can schools support their Muslim teachers and students? Um, that's a very good question. So at my school, we actually just, we had our first, our first ever Islam Awareness Week. And we kicked it off on Wednesday. We had an assembly where we shared with about, so I have a huge school, just FYI. There's 3,500 children at, at my school. And um, so we only had about 1,500 or about 1,200 in the auditorium. But we presented to certain departments. You know, we did a presentation about Ramadan. Um, we gave them information. We told teachers what things to look for while their students are fasting. So. You know, one of the things that we shared is if you notice that students are becoming fatigued, if they look like they might pass out, if they vomited or become nauseous, you know, it's okay for you as a teacher to say, hey, I went to this, this program, I learned about Ramadan, I know that it's okay if you're sick 
for you to, you know, maybe think about breaking your fast and, and make it up on another day. I really feel like you're not looking well. You know, what do you think about maybe drinking some water and, and you know, trying to get another day? So just making teachers aware of like the, the parameters and, to, you know, just be sensitive to their Muslim, their Muslim students. If you're given a test and you notice a kid fell asleep that usually doesn't fall asleep, they probably fell asleep because they're up all night and they're praying and they're tired. So that's something that you definitely want to consider. Um, I guess the other thing I would say is, you know, we actually had a, a, a student who last year during graduation, she fainted on the in, in, in the crowd. Um, while she was waiting to be called up to get her diploma. So it's also, you know, making sure that kids are not pushing themselves to the limit. You know, some of her teachers have said, oh, we saw that she looked, you know, peculiar and that she, she, she looked, she didn't look well, but we didn't know our parameters. We didn't know what we, what we should say. And they actually came over to get me um, because I'm like visibly Muslim. And um, at that time I was the only visibly Muslim woman teacher at the school and so they came over to get me but it's like you know just kind of educating people about about it and so we're doing the Islam Awareness Week um yesterday on Thursday after school we actually did a food situation where um people were able to come and like taste some of the things that you might have for iftar so it might be fried chicken so we had fried chicken we had I forget the name of the soup but it was like a Palestinian soup that Palestinians served we had dates we had bean pies that's an african-american tradition that we started here and um so that's some of the things that that you can do you can also so at my children's school they asked me to do it so i actually went to their school and, and, and actually do so i it's a good practice as you know whether it's a public school or charter school or private school it's good practice to make sure that you are educating yourself, educating administration, educating teachers around what Ramadan is and around like how to help students, how to support students, um, and then what you can and can't say as a teacher. Mm. So what about administrators with the, the teachers when it comes to support, uh, whether it's allowing them, you know, spaces for praying Salah or yes. other accommodations. How can a school administrator be that support for that Muslim teacher? Right. Um, I think when you're in a, especially if it's a public school, you have to be careful that you're not, that, you know, there's a fine line between separation of church and state in a public school, although we know things cross the line all the time um, when it's a certain other religion. Um, but I think the way to do it where it's being inclusive of everybody is create a meditation room. And by creating a meditation room that is open to anybody. So you basically have a room that's a quiet space, it's a clean space. You put some rugs down, you can get them from Amazon, and you allow Muslim students to be able to come and pray at certain key times of the day. Um, if they have recess or if it's during lunchtime, it's like, okay, we'll let you out of the lunchroom a little bit early so that you can go and be able to pray. So that's really important. And that was one of the questions that came up at the PD. It was like, the, one of the things they asked was, you know, how long should students take to pray? And, you know, I really didn't want to throw the Muslim students under the bus, but it's like, well, you know, like 10 minutes, it, it's 
tops, right? Because you, you want to throw in, they need to go make wudu, and maybe they want to for, wait for some other friends to come in and be able to pray. But you also, you know, it's important to talk to you, our children as, as Muslim parents too, like, you know, don't overdo it. You shouldn't be spending 20 or 30 minutes out of class, right? Um, but 10, 10, 10, 15, you know, with a little bit of extension, it should, should be good practice in terms of praying. But definitely provide a space. And don't just provide a space for Muslim children. Provide a meditation space for all children because some kids just need to be, need to, sometimes they just need to go to a quiet room and just sit. So I think it will be great to be able to have that. So it's a space that can be multi-purpose and then nobody can say, oh, Muslim students are getting a special treatment because they are, you know, because they're Muslim. <laughs> yeah, hey, hey. Uh, before we go, I want to touch on the end of Ramadan. Yes. Uh, we ha- there are two Eids uh, in Islam, and yes. one of them appear at the end of Ramadan, Eid al-Fitr. Yes. Uh, what is Eid, for those who don't know, and how do Muslims celebrate the ending of Ramadan? Well, um, Eid al-Fitr is the festival, is, um, in English, it's, it's called the Festival of Breaking the Fast. So it is our holiday where we, after we have fasted for an entire month, Allah also tells us to uh, get dressed in your finest gear and um, have a big feast. You go to the mosque, you pray. Um, in Philadelphia, what that might look like is uh, sometimes we run out parks, sometimes we run out um, centers or stadiums, and all of the Muslims come down and pray. Or sometimes you do it on a smaller scale. There's usually moon bounces for children, clowns, games, prizes, food. Um, typically, what an E would look like is for uh, for us is we would wake up around 6 a.m., everybody would get dressed and, you know, put on our little perfume and all the, the fun things. And then we would take some pictures and we would like run uh, to the to the mosque or the domestic because usually we would be running late. And then we get there and we sit and we sing um, or we chant takbirs. And once we're done with that, um, we listen to a mini sermon and then we pray um that typically takes about an hour by that time you're starving because you didn't eat so then we'll go out and we'll go get brunch and after brunch we will typically try to find out if there's some activities going on around the city we'll go to the park uh we'll get prizes for the kids because a lot of times they'll give the kids toys and things for free and then we'll meet back at one central person's house and we'll have dinner so either we'll go out to dinner or somebody will cook dinner and we pray we laugh we celebrate. It's really a good time. It's no different from any other from what happens on any other holidays. Um, but it's you know centered around prayer and community and food and love mm. and God. <laughs> and yeah, it's for me. It's been sort of like a relief of okay. We are we are now back to what we were uh, Mm. beforehand. Um, And on Twitter, they have this hashtag Blackout Eid, where 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. Look, I, I can't remember when I got turned on to this thing. I don't know if it was last year or the year before last. Yeah. Yeah. But when I saw this, yes. and I'm seeing black people from all over the world yes. uh, in their outfits and yes. you know, showing the food, I was like, oh, Okay. Well, you know what's kind of funny? You know what's really funny about that? So before that got started, I actually, um, I started blogging when I, in like 2013. Um, and so I had a blog. At first it was called PHKI, Philly Jabby's Killing It. And I would feature um, mostly black Muslim women, like fashions. And so for E, we would do a hashtag and we would like highlight all, what all the, the black Muslims look like during E um, here in Philadelphia and also around the world. And um, at that time, it really wasn't something that was happening or popular. But I have to say, I'm so happy to see that Blackout Eid has become such a big thing. And I've, my, me and my family have been featured on the hashtag or that we've had our picture taken from the hashtag and, and put into um, like online publications. Because what typically happens is um, with the online publications, they'll pull pictures directly from the hashtag and create articles around it. And so I think it's really good because I feel like the visibility of, of Muslims and Muslim women um, is really starting to kind of explode. And that's always a good thing because um, for so long, when people think of Muslims, they would automatically think Arabs. And the, you know, most of the majority of the Muslims in this country are African-American. And many of them are converts, you know, like myself. And like, I think you said you were a convert too, right? I am. So, yeah. So I think it's always good. I, you know, I collect, connected with a lot of people on Twitter. Um, and they're from all over. And I had some friends that were from like Georgia. And they, the first thing they would say is I, for Eve, like I've never seen Muslims dress the way that you dress. I always thought Muslims dress just one way. And you guys coordinate, you color coordinate, because I, I get, we have a theme every year for my family. So like last year's theme was like loyalty and royalty inside our DNA. So we did a black and gold theme. Then it was into the garden. So we did flower theme. Um, the uh, Eve that's coming up, we're going to be lace. You know, it's going to be lace and pastel, right? So, you know, it's, it's really, it's also a form of giving dawa, right? It's a form of also just spreading awareness about what a Muslim is and, and how diverse and beautiful um, the religion is. And we come in all shapes and sizes. You know, sometimes we wear all black with our face covered. Sometimes we stepping out with um, some jeans and a tunic, you know? So I, I think I love Black Out Eat. I think it's um, great and everybody should follow the hashtag um, in about a month because the Muslims are going to show up and show out once again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like wow when I first saw it, and then when you yes. see the food, and like you said, you see the fried chicken and the the yes. mac and cheese and the cornbread and stuff, and you go and the bean pies. <laughs> you say, I, I can relate to that. I can relate to that mm -hmm. uh, because yeah. I don't come from a Middle Eastern, you know, background, so it's just right. you know, culturally is different uh, as well. So. It, I just saw it. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, my folks are showing out. I'm having a good time just looking yes. at it. I was like, oh, yes. wow. That yes. is all right. That's I all right. It. I've been to yes. Philadelphia once. 
I was yes. I was there a couple of years ago. Okay. Uh, for uh, an air tech conference, and it was during the time of Ramadan. And I'm telling okay. you, I personally going there and and going to that market and seeing like all of these black folk who are Muslim. I was. Yes. Because we have some here, of course, and we and we do have a Muslim community about yes. forty-five minutes from from where I am now. But yeah, yeah. Normally, when when you go out, you just don't see them as visible. Uh, and so when I was there, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, this is this is different right here. It's different." So thank you, Kaziah, for coming Amazing. on the show. Oh yeah, it's so interesting. Like any corner, anywhere you walk. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Thank. I, I would like to thank my guest, Kaziah Ridgeway, for coming on the show. Thank you, Kaziah, for uh, dropping the gems today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed myself. Uh, you are so welcome. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode will be going up on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Simplecast, Spotify, and Stitcher. I need you to to subscribe, leave your stars, some high ratings, share, 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 give the comments because your boy's trying to get Oprah on the show and I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I would like to thank my guest, Kaziah Ridgeway, for coming on and sharing what it means uh, to be a Muslim educator and how educators, uh, can't, Muslim educators and students can be supported during the holy month of Ramadan, which uh, inshallah should start this Monday. Thank you everyone for checking out the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs, and I am your host, Dr. Will. As always, people, invest in you, edu, peace. <laughs>